Grace and peace from God belongs to you through our Savior, whose birth we're celebrating tonight, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to quickly share with you a couple verses. We just heard them, but uh, share, with them, share them with you one more time from Luke 2, verses 9 through 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior was born for you. He is Christ the Lord. And we pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for humbling yourself in order to come to us, that you might share the eternal glory of heaven with us. Give us comfort and help us to rejoice always in this wonderful Christmas message. Amen. Dear friends, do you ever worry about those who try to take Christ out of Christmas? Now, obviously, we don't want that. And yet we see it around us, happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, people raging against public nativity scenes. Charlie Brown even was so concerned about the commercialization of Christmas. We want Christ to stay in Christmas But there's another danger, a dangerous attack that Satan lays against us that maybe we're not so so concerned about sometimes. And that is how he is at work to take something else out of Christmas. He wants to take the message of for you, for me, for us out of Christmas. What precious words these are that we hear in the gospel account that we want to consider tonight. Those words, those two simple words, for you. The Savior is born for you. He's born for us. God the Son has taken on human flesh and blood. The second person of the Trinity has come into this world, and he comes to be a joy for all people. That's true, but that means that also includes you. You personally has come for you, for me, for us. We've also heard it said that Jesus is the reason for the season, right? A familiar cliche. But what was the reason for his coming? Again, for you. You are precious to God. So precious, in fact, that he sent his son for you, for us. What joy this gives us as we celebrate Christmas. Tonight's familiar text is a message that God has for you. We want to personalize it, take it to heart, internalize it. For you, for me, for us. It's not just the Bethlehem shepherds. The angel of the Lord has also stood before us with a glorious message. The glory of the Lord has also shone around us, and it has terrified us, but also What belongs to us? The wonderful, glorious comfort in the message of the newborn Christ child. Reasons to thank and praise God. Tonight, this Christmas message is meant for you, the Savior born for you, for me, for us. 2,000 years ago, outside of Bethlehem, there were those shepherds, and an angel appears to them, and and he gives them a message. He spoke to them on God's behalf. Now realize, 
that the same thing happens for us. An angel of the Lord now stands before us, not a blindingly glorious angel that stands before you today, but realize that the power was never actually in the angel, was it? The power was in the message that that angel shared from God. In fact, the word angel, it means messenger. Angel literally means messenger. So when the angel appears to the shepherd, as the angel appeared also to Zechariah and to the Virgin Mary beforehand, it wasn't ever about how cool and great this angel was, but what a wonderful, great, comforting, important message this is being delivered. And that remains true still for you and for me today. God sends his, his angels, his messengers to you with a great message, an important message for us to hear. A message that couldn't ever have been made up or fabricated by people. This is a divine, heaven-sent message that God is sharing with you. The message that St. Paul summarizes in 1 Timothy the saying is trustworthy and true, Paul says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So who was the angel that delivered this message first to you, this angel, this messenger? Praise be to God for all of the angels that he has placed before us in our lives. Those who have proclaimed this wonderful divine message that God is for us. Maybe your pastors your teachers, your Sunday school teachers, your parents, your grandparents, your friends, even your children. Last Sunday in our children's Christmas service, our kids were proclaiming to us the wonderful things that God has done for us. A glorious message that God shares for you, for us. What happens next then for those shepherds out in those Bethlehem fields? The angel appears to them with a message. And we're then told that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, they were terrified. They were sore afraid. They were greatly frightened. So what is meant by this? The glory of the Lord shone around them. Does it mean that the hills were suddenly bright with light? I'm sure that was true. Jesus, when he showed his chosen three disciples his true glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, we're told that his, his face was shining bright like the sun. It would have been hard to look at him. But there is more packed into this expression that we hear here, the glory of the Lord. And especially from the Old Testament, and especially in the book of Exodus, we hear this phrase used again and again. It refers to something that is impressive, something that is truly powerful, proof that God himself was actually there. And so in the Exodus, as the people were, were leaving Egypt and as they were out in the wilderness, the glory of the Lord went before the people in that, that miraculous pillar of clouds and at night a pillar of fire, whatever that would have been like, who knows. Or even on Mount Sinai, we're told that the glory of the Lord came down upon the mountain. Fiery, thunderous power. There was no doubt about it. God was there. God was present. And even as he gave his people there on Sinai, his, his law and his expectations, it was intimidating for them, wasn't it? 
It was a sign of God's authority when the power, the glory of the Lord was, was shining upon them. It was something that they couldn't deny. It was humbling to those who experienced it, especially humbling to, to any who thought that they were great or glorious themselves or important or impressive. When the glory of the Lord was there, they instantly had to bow down and cower and admit, this is God. All knees must bow to him. We're told that on that Christmas Eve, the, Lord, the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds, and it served as proof to them that God was in fact present. He was there. He had come to earth and that they should humble themselves before him. And dear friends, for you and me, the glory of the Lord still shines around us. It shines around us now through his word, through God's word. As God's word points us to who God is and what God's expectations are. We hear in his word that he is still here. He is watching us. He knows everything that we do or say or think. And that's a, that's a humbling thing isn't it? It can be kind of frightening, especially as we consider the commandments of God and we consider how we haven't kept those commandments. We might consider the glory of the Lord and, and how we have this holy, demanding God of all righteousness and justice, and he demands a high standard of perfection for us. And as his glory shines upon us, that's a that's a fearful thing because we recognize our failures. Jesus would later go on to say, the light has come into the world and yet people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. You and I, were guilty of committing evil deeds. And as the glory of the Lord, as we stand in the light of God's holy, perfect law, it really serves as a spotlight upon us, and it points out, it highlights every flaw that we have, all of our guilt, all of our sins, all of our mistakes, and it's highly uncomfortable to stand in the glory of the Lord naked before God. What does this do? It terrifies us. It frightens us. It humbles us. It makes us admit that, that we are unworthy of God that we've done things that we can't possibly make up for. And this is a terrifying thing for, for people to think about trying to stand before an almighty, holy God and try to stand up in his full glory. It's impossible for us, in fact. We couldn't do it. That's what caused the Israelites to panic as they were at Mount Sinai and they witnessed firsthand the glory of the Lord. And, they, and God speaks to them and tells them all of his expectations and he gives them the Ten Commandments. And they say, no, stay away, don't talk to us anymore, Lord. Or even these shepherds, they were terrified, they were frightened. Or even think of Peter, when he recognized who Jesus was at the miraculous catch of fish. As Jesus was calling Peter, do you remember what Peter did? Lord, get away from me because I am a sinful man. I don't deserve to be standing in your glory. We make that confession too, don't we? We admit that we are sinful. 
Who are we to stand before God? If we, if we attempted to stand before God on our own, we should be completely consumed and wiped out. We should be cast away into the outer darkness. But what does the angel say next to those terrified shepherds? And what does he say then also to you and to me? Fear not. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior was born for you, for you. He is Christ the Lord. You and I, we're not cast away from God. We're not going to be consumed by his glory because we have this Savior who is born for you, for me, for us. Do you need a Savior? The answer is absolutely yes. The Bible's totally clear about this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we need no longer fear because of this, because we know that we have Christ for us. He is our Savior. Paul would go on in Romans chapter 3. He goes on to explain, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, the Savior, is born. God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, steps off of his throne on high, his throne in heaven, and he decides to come and enter into time and history to become our fellow man and brother. He came to us as one of us to do everything for us so that we might not perish but that we might have eternal life. That's what's all wrapped up in this, this message from the angels, that we have a Savior born to you, to us. And what a precious comfort this is to you and to me. On our own, we couldn't stand before the glory of the Lord. It would wipe us out if we tried to stand in God's glory. But Jesus has come and he stood tall in the glory of the Lord. He had no flaws, no sins, no faults, no evil deeds. He lived up to the glory of the Lord and he did that for us. Again, for us. What a wonderful two words for us. He lived for us. He perfectly obeyed God's law for us. He earned perfect righteous glory that he now puts upon you and me. And he props us up and he lifts up our heads now so that we can stand in the glory of God ourselves. Not because we deserve it, but because he's there holding us up. And we see a smiling face of God looking down upon us. Because we are his holy people, we are his saints. And as for all of the evil deeds that we've done, that we're guilty of, and that we confess and admit, well, Jesus was born to save us from them. That was his mission. He was born so that he could go to the cross for you. Jesus came in humility. He was born in humble circumstances to a humble mother. He was born in a humble manger bed. He was first visited by humble shepherds. That mission of humility would continue throughout his life, even to the cross, where he would humble himself even to the point of death to pay for your sins and for mine. And now we humble ourselves 
And we admit that that cross, that's where we belong. That's what we deserve. That suffering and death, we deserve to be forsaken by God because we have not lived up to his standards. But the good news is that this humble child of Bethlehem is the one who went to that place for you, for me, for us. He came to suffer, to die, in order to redeem you and me, to buy us back from sin and death so that we might be with him in heaven. Christ the Lord, our Savior, is born for us, and he has saved us. That's proven. His work is complete, and that's been proven, of course, to us by his resurrection from the dead on Easter. What precious comfort that gives to you and to me, to people who hurt, who, to people who go through hard times in life, so many struggles that we have. And yet, what precious comfort you and I have. What peace, what hope we can have in spite of all of this garbage going on around us because we know we have a Savior born for us. For me personally, this past week has been challenging. Many of you know that my family out in California has been really sick with COVID. My brother in the ICU near death. It's been a hard and emotional week for my family. We're praising God that now things are looking good and that he has spared their lives. And we, we thank everyone for their concerns and, and prayers on behalf of our family. Earlier this week, someone asked me if all of these struggles that uh, my family was going through, if it, was, if it was bringing down my Christmas, if it was ruining the joy of the season for me, I thought about it. I said, absolutely not. Fact is that this has been a tremendous blessing to me. That in, in, fa- in spite of all of these troubles and hardships that we are facing, we have this incredible joy and comfort of this very message. That Christ is for us. He's for my brother. He's for my mom. He's for my dad. He's for me. He's for you. He's for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the reason for the season. This is why we rejoice and celebrate at Christmas time. We have nothing to worry about. God Almighty is for us. We have a Savior born for you, for me, for us. Thank you, God, for the forgiveness of sins, for the salvation and the eternal life that you give to us through the work of this Christ child born in Bethlehem. Amen.